I was watching, I was listening to uh, Dr. Phil on Joe Rogan, and what he, what Phil said back in October is that during the summertime, they get all the letters in from the viewers, and then they court their filming for the fall. And he said, this is the first year that the topics have been way different, because typically the, the letters that they get in the summer are about relationships or habits or hurts or hang-ups or things like that, the weird stuff we see on Dr. Phil. He said, but the thing is, this summer, these, this summer's letters have been different because the questions have been, are we going to make it through this? Are we going to survive? Are we going to come out on the other end? Is this the end? And... We live in a broken world, man. We live in a turbulent, tumultuous time. We have those questions. We have these concerns. And, and we live in a world with broken people, broken relationships. We just live in brokenness. I mean, sin has permeated every aspect and every crack and every crevice of our lives. You name it, sin has bled into it. And it's all over. And uh, people feel unloved. People feel unwanted. They feel, they feel unvalued. They feel unnoticed. And in this broken world where people feel unloved, unwanted, and unnoticed, as Christians, we're called to love them. As Christians, we're called to let people know that God loves them. So if we're going to do that, it means that we're going to have to fix our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to have to be intentional on purpose about loving God and loving people. It's going to, make a cho it's going to take a choice on our parts. And I'm going to love people who are hard to love. I'm going to man up, or I'm going to woman up, and I'm going to do what I have to do. Uh, we've looked at a, a loving God, loving people for a couple weeks now. The first week we talked about how Jesus gave us a, the, the great commandment and a new commandment. He said the first one is love God with everything you have. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself uh, and love them as I loved you. Last week we talked about Jesus' love, the example of Jesus' love. Jesus was intentional when he went to that little town that was like our East St. Louis, and he was intentional when he went to that woman uh, who was way different than him. So his love was intentional, and it was impartial. Y'all, today, I can imagine that today's message, it's going to resonate with a lot of us because it really talks about how hard it is to love people. It talks about how hard it is to love people who are hard to love. And, and I've heard your stories. Uh, we, got, we all have those stories of when people have hurt us or we didn't feel loved or wanted. And the truth is, uh, we can be kind of hard to love. The truth is, we can be kind of difficult to, to love. And none of us are easy to love, at least not all the time. No matter how hard we want to be uh, with our spouse or with our kids, we, we want to be lovable all the time or people we work with. But man, I'm just going to be honest with you. At least I'm not always easy to love. And I'm going to assume that everybody in the room can say the same thing. And guess what, man? We live in a broken world with broken people and broken relationships. We live in a sinful world. So of course it's going to get tough. It's going to get arduous. Sin has completely permeated every facet of our life, making it difficult to love and making it hard to be loved. I got an antidote. The antidote for our problem is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to be intentional about loving God and loving people. Um, it's easy to give up on people. It's easy to give up on relationships because we can get complacent or we just move on when the relationship gets too hot or too difficult or too messy. We'll just go on down the road. Uh, to be intentional and impartial, it means that we, we see people that are hard to love. They're not like us. They have different views, different values, different ethics, different morals. We see these people that, that are hard to love, but on the same token, guys, we can be that person too. We can be hard to love. Thankfully, God is not like that with us. You know, we love people who are easy to love. God, God decided I'm going to love the people who are hard to love. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to show these people that are difficult to love. Maybe they don't even want love. I'm going to do it. John 3, 16. Boom. You know it. For God so 
love that broken, messed up world. He loved us, so he gave his one and only son. There's not another one like him. That whoever believes in him, Jesus, shall never perish, but they will have eternal life. Church, he didn't give up on us. In fact, the exact opposite. He engaged us. He came to us knowing that we were messed up and tore up and difficult and broken. He engaged us. Why? Because God so loved. Man, it's that love that lets him to love people who are hard to love. Why? Uh, because he, he did it because he loved all of us. Y'all, last week we talked about the example of God's love where Jesus set that, 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 that tempo to love people intentionally and impartially. Uh, with that said, we're going to take a deeper look today because some of the distractions and desires that make it so difficult to love people, that's what we're going to look at. Why are people hard to love? What makes, it, what makes us hard to love? What is it? That's where we're going to do a deep dive today. We're going to look at three steps that we can take to, to soften that heart, be a little bit more lovable. First step is this, number one, and this is all kind of an intrinsic message. Look inside today. Don't, don't worry about the folks on the outside. Worry about right here. Number one, when we're looking at how to love difficult people, check, your, check for competing desires, and I'm going to unpack that. Check for competing desires. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 4 or turn your Bible on. James chapter 4 verse 1 through 3. I love what James says. He says, these conflicts and these disputes among you, where do they come from? Why are you fighting? What's the source? What's the springhead of all these fights you have? Do they not come from your cravings, your desires that are at war within you? That nature of the flesh and then the new heart that God has given you. You want something and you don't have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and you can't obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You don't have it because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on pleasures. You've got to love how James just kind of, out of the gate, he says, why are y'all fighting? What's the deal? What's the conflict? What's the source of your conflict? What's the source of your argument? As you let that question hang in the moment, I want you to think about it. In your marriage or in your relationship, what caused the problem? What caused the rift? What caused the conflict? Why is it that these disputes are among you? Where do they come from? Those were James's words. James goes on to say, this is it. You want something and you don't get it. So you kill and you covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. Church, I want you to think about all the conflicts we have in our life. How many of them have to do because we didn't get our way? Or we didn't get what we wanted? Or we didn't get our needs met? Or we didn't get what we thought we should have got? We didn't get the promotion. We didn't get the raise. We didn't get the new level of responsibility. We didn't get that, so we get angry. Somebody else got the promotion. Someone else got their way. While, while all you had to do, all you could do is just get on board and go along with it. You had to get on board and follow somebody that you're probably a better leader and may know more about the job, but somehow things worked out where they got it, now you've got to follow them. Things didn't go our way, so now we just kind of got to get in our lane and stay there and just go along with it. And it gets frustrating because we have our own wants and we have our own desires that will compete with the world around us. We want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. No one wants a hard life. I've never, I've never heard somebody say, you know what, when I grow up, I just want to really have a difficult life. I want to struggle. I've never heard anybody say that. We want a good life. We want to get along with people. 
We want to we have those relationships. We don't want to quarrel. We don't want to fight. But sometimes we do. Where does it come from? Where does the, what's the origin? What's the, the cause of all that mess? Well, no one wants to live a hard life. We want the easy life. We want kids who will listen to us. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Kids that would listen to us. That would be sweet. Yeah, let that hang in there in the minute. You know, let that hang there in there. We want perfect relationships that are with those who are closest to us. We want that. We want our kids to listen, relationships to, the, the, to work that are closest to us. We want part-time job with full-time pay. Can we get behind that? That's what we want. You know, those are the desires that are in our heart. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see a very clear example of, of really the competitive desires that were within the heart of people. There's this old story between Cain and Abel. And in this story, if you've never heard this story, Cain's the bad guy, Abel's the good guy. Genesis 4, 1 through 9. And remember, we're still looking at conflicting desires in our heart as the reason why we're hard to love and why other people are hard to love. This conflicting desire. Genesis 4, 1, 9. Now... The man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, and she bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore, her, uh, bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain, a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Okay, so what? Well, God had asked for a blood offering. Cain wanted to bring a, Cain wanted to bring a grain offering. God said, no, you've you got to give me blood. Now, here's the thing. No matter how much Cain thought it was okay, when God says, don't do it, don't do it. God said, oh, no, don't bring me wheat. Bring, bring me the blood because sin's powerful. And Cain said, eh, I want to do it my way. We don't do it our way. When we do it our way, it's called sin. And that's exactly what he did. Look there. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought uh, the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for whose offering? The good guy. But for Cain, his offering had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. He got a mad on towards his brother. And, and the next thing you, you know is this what happened. If you do, uh, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin's lurking at the door. I say sin's lurking at the door. Daggum, ain't that the truth? Sin's always at the front door wanting to get in. So sin's always lurking at the door. It desires for you, but you got to master it. you got to put a muzzle on that thing. You're going to have to make that dog behave or it's going to get you. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And they were in the field. Cain rose up against his bro Abel and killed him dead. Then the Lord said to Cain, hey man, where's your brother Abel? He said, no, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. Wouldn't you love to have been in the mind of God when that was said? I don't know. And God knows full and well. He knows exactly what happened. So what was it between these two guys? Well, here it was. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel. God looked at Abel's offering with favor, and Cain wanted his offering to be seen by God with favor, but he didn't get it. So it made Cain jealous. It angered him. It put him into a sense of rage. And we see the first murder committed on the planet, and the rest, they say, is history. If you want to know at the beginning of where sin began to enter the world, look at mom and dad, Adam and Eve, and look at the boy Cain starts there now those desires jealousy anger and rage they're inside of us too we inherit those they are so powerful that sometimes we do things we're not proud of you ever been angry and done something you're not proud of you ever been angry and done something that you're ashamed of 
I feel comfortable telling this story, and by the way, it's been 17 years since this has happened. Some of you were here, some of you weren't, but I will tell you a personal story. About 17 years ago, the church was going through a time of conflict. I was about 33, 34. I was working. I was finishing up my doctoral program. We had just made a position for a second full-time staff here. Things did not go well. There were about three different set. There were about three different heads that came out. Not not people heads, but you know how things come to a head. This thing came to a head about three or four different times, and this is about the second time it came to a head. It happened in a daggum business meeting. Business meeting was going on this side of the church. Nobody was over here. I was standing right here. The people were here, and. I did the business meeting poorly. I was angry. I was hurt. I was ticked off. And I'm embarrassed at the way I acted then. Uh, and I wish I could go back now and do things differently. Uh, but I want you to know I, I was embarrassed of that even 17 years later. But I can share that with you now because I'm assuming everybody else has done something stupid when they were mad. I'm, I'm sure that I, I'm assuming, you know, I, I know what they say about assuming too. Uh, but I know that in that situation, I acted poorly, and I was hurt, and I was angry. I wish I could tell you that whole thing ended well. It didn't. People left the church. Uh, there were families that were divided. There were families that stayed, and members of that family left the church. And so I know that there was a problem there. Uh, we've never had another full-time staff since then. I'm not saying it's bad or a good thing. I'm just saying that's what it is. And uh, it was at that, it's at that point, the pastor, where you as a pastor either have to decide, okay, I've had enough of this, I'm going to go someplace else, or you stick it out. Uh, obviously, I stuck it out. Uh, but these types of stories aren't unique to me. Lots of us struggle with difficult relationships, and we struggle with our call to love other people. We don't always do well. Now, here's the crazy thing. Love asks so much of us. And the example that Jesus wants us to follow, I'm going to be honest with you, I can't do it. The example he puts out there, I don't have it in me. It's impossible for Mike Fogerson to love by the example that Jesus has shown me. Not to mention, I live in a world that is pervasively infiltrated with sin. Even if I had my stuff together, I'm living in a world whose stuff is not together. So, ma'am, what do, what do we do? How do we deal with this? We can understand why God would say to Cain, if you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your, your door and it desires to have you. But you've got to master it. Sin is at the proverbial doorstep and it wants to have us. What's that mean? It wants to eat you up. It wants to consume your joy, consume your hope, consume your home, consume, uh, consume your, your peace, consume your mental health, consume the spirit, uh, the joy that's in your spirit. He wants to take all of that and just suck it out of your life. We've got to learn to overcome that decisive and destructive desire in order for us to love others and to be able to receive love from other people. So number one, check your competing desires. Is it, is it something that, that's selfish? Once you've checked your competing desires, we examine our spiritual direction. Step number 2-0. Check your spirit. After you've checked your desires or your intentions, I guess would be an appropriate synonym for that. After you've checked your, your intentions or your desires, the second thing you do is you will check your spirit. Man, you look out throughout the Old Testament, uh, we learn that people of God, 
they weren't able to overcome sin on their own. They weren't able to do the impossible on their own. They needed a perfect high priest who could finally and completely fill in the gap and offer a sacrifice that was worthy of total forgiveness. The Old Testament folks, they needed somebody who could come and set things straight. Now, you and I know Jesus came to do that. We know that Jesus was the priest, the Messiah they were looking for. But even though we had that loving example of Jesus to follow, even though we've got all the Bible to see how God moves in love, Y'all, God gives us some help. He wants to juice us up. He wants to, he wants to put the performance-enhancing Holy Spirit inside of us so we can do the impossible. So we can love people who are hard to love. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us because He knows that we cannot do it on our own, by ourselves, even though we have that beautiful, loving example of Christ, God says, I know you can't do it by yourself. Let me help you out. Let me juice you up. Now you're saying, Brother Mike, what do you mean? Galatians 5, 16 through 17. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the... That's a callback to the first point. Check your desires. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit. And what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. And they are opposed to each other. So prevent you, uh, to prevent you from doing what you... What do you want to do? Do you want to do your desires or His desires? I know what I want, but I also know what I do. And what the, what the, what the Word of God is saying is, you've got to make up your mind... On what want you're going to elevate. Do you want God's will to be done or do you want Mike's will to be done? Now the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. What are some examples of that, Brother Mike? What are some things that you know, we, we know that God doesn't want but yet we cling to them oftentimes? We know what we should do but we go this direction. Galatians 5, uh, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. I don't know about you, but so far, um, okay, I, I see this list. I get it. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming, yet never, an all-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper and an, an impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives, small mind and a lopsided Pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Y'all, this is on my heart, and this has been in my heart for about a month. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's accurate. Do you understand that sin before you got saved is still sin after you got saved? Oh, you're forgiven of sin, but you need to understand something. Sin's, sin is still real. And what was sin before you came to Jesus is still sin after you came to Jesus. And this list that we look for, as gross and hideous as it is, is not an exhaustive list, but it's a great starting point because out of those 12, I can probably mark off six myself. The selfish bent of human nature makes it difficult to love each other. We want things we can't have and we shouldn't have. We fight and we quarrel. We get jealous over people who have the things we want and we lose sight of the big picture. 
But those are not the way of love. And this is not the way God wants us to live. God's graciously given us the gift of his Holy Spirit to juice us up so we can live in that world that is permeated with sin. Mike, what's that look like? Genesis, uh, Galatians 5.22, same text. By contrast, or, Jesus, or, or the word says, this is the difference. The fruit of the Spirit brings love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law such th- against such things. And those, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another and envying one another. You want to know what the secret is there? Follow the Spirit. Follow the will of the Spirit, not the will of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit can be evident in the life of others. It can be evident in our life too. I want you to take a look in your own life, your relationship and the way you love others. I want you to think about those relationships that you have with the people that are closest to you. And by contrast, do those relationships have love? Do they have joy? Do they have peace? Do they have patience? Do they have gentleness and faithfulness and all of those things? Are you loving in that way? Are you gentle and are you self-controlled? These are the evidences of a life that has been surrendered to Jesus. You're not always blowing off the handle out of anger. And that's not to say you, you, we get it perfect all the time because we're going to drop the ball. Who care how good of a Christian you are? You're going to drop the ball sometimes. That's not to say that we're always going to get things right because we won't, but God loves us unconditionally because we're not what we should be. And nobody is what they should be. Church, ain't nobody in here living the life that we should be living. I got good news for you. Do you know that Jesus still loves you? You don't do everything right. I don't do everything right. But God never says, whoop, I'm going to pull the card. I don't love you anymore. But that's where the complete and total forgiveness of Christ comes in. That's where the power of Jesus steps into the brokenness and the suffering. He says, hey man, I know that you sin. I know that you dropped the ball. I know that. But I love you anyway. Church, we learn to surrender to him, giving our lives to him, the good, the bad, and everything else. God, this is yours. Church, aren't you glad God's not asked us to figure out all of our problems? God's not asked us to figure out all of our problems, but this is what I think he's asked. He's asked us to believe that he has figured them all out. He's got all the answers. He's got this thing down. God's not asking us to figure it all out. He's asking us to trust that he already has. And as we check for competing desires, flesh and the spirit, we're going to arrive at the hardest step, and this is the third step. This is the last one. Third step is learn to humble yourself. Learn to humble yourself. It's a humbling thing to admit, number one, that people are hard to love. It's a humbling thing to admit that our fellow human beings are not always human. They they don't act right. They don't act, you know, you look on the news and you're thinking, my God Almighty, how could one man do that to another man? How could one person do that to another person? That's the world we live in. So when we live in this world that is broken around us, it's, it's humbling to admit that, okay, these people that are hard to love, I get it. But it's also humbling to admit that you're hard to love. That you. Amen, baby. However, these are important starting points as we seek to live like Jesus. We're going to have to see ourselves for who we really are. Not who we think we are, but who we really are. 
Thankfully, the book of James not only introduces the reasons behind much of our relational difficulty, it also provides us an antidote. I want to show you James 4, verse 7. It's the first word there. Submits. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. This is what he'll do. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Don't feel happy about your sin. Do something about it. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord. You knew it was going to end up in a bad spot when, y'all, when you saw all the language ahead of that. You knew it wasn't going to be roses and thanks. You know it's going to be tough. The Word of God says, humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's the thing. I've always found if I, humble my, if I humble myself before God, it's always better than Him humbling me. You feel me? <laughs> And the Bible says, he's going to lift you up. You're going to be okay. We've got to learn to humble ourselves before God, submitting ourselves to him, being obedient to his ways as we express love and affection to other people. Submit. Church, say submit one more time. Submit is a military term. It means that you know your rank. It means you know your spot. And church, if there was any part of this message, it just really hit me. It's the next couple of lines. You know your spot. In the military, if a private first class starts barking orders like a general, there's probably going to be problems. He ain't going to get far. Because the private doesn't tell the general what to do. The private can't order things around. That's what submitting means. Submitting means you go with your rank. Because somebody's over you. The Word of God is saying if you want all this mess to kind of go away... Get in rank, get in file, and realize that you are under God and not the other way around. When you're holding areas of your life away from God, you put up purple paint around it. You put up no trespassing signs. You put gates to try to keep Him out. Church, all those areas that we say, God, this area of my life is out, uh, is, is out of your purview. It, you don't have permission to go here. Church, I promise you, when we put up the purple paint, the no trespassing signs to God, there will be trouble in every other area of our life. He wants to consume it. He wants to take it all. He wants all of our life in totality. When we're holding those areas back, we'll be in battles in our life, not just with Him. We're going to be in battle in our life with other people. Uncommitted Christians have a hard time living with themselves and others without fighting. I'm going to say that again. Uncommitted, weak faith Christians have a hard time living with themselves and with other people. Because if there is a war inside you, that war will always find a way out. If you're fighting with God about surrender, don't be surprised when you're fighting with other people in your life. Because the war that's in always has a way of ultimately warring out. Much like a child and a parent, we trust and we obey God because we know that we believe that God has our best interest at heart. As our Heavenly Father, we believe that He has all this stuff worked out. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, Son, if you love me, then keep my commandments. You know why God can say that? Because our Father knows best. He says, if you love me, just do what I say. And by the way, I've got your back. I know what's going on. I've seen the whole picture. Where children get in trouble, listen to me, students. Where children get in trouble is when they believe that they know better than their parents. Feel me? 
That's where you get in trouble as a student or as a kid. When you think you know better than your parents. The point of these stories is to say that relationships, sometimes we just struggle in them. Humbling ourselves is hard. Pressing into God is hard. Washing our hands and ridding ourselves of sin is hard. But church, Jesus never said this mess would be easy. He never said that, uh, he never said it would just be a walk in the park. In fact, the exact contrary. He says multiple times throughout the New Testament that we will experience suffering. We will experience difficulty. And that this life can get us down. He's promised us that. But as we learned in James 4.10, God has also promised us this. Humble yourselves before the Lord. James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He. What we're about to see is a promise God is going to give us. What we're about to see is a vow God's made to you and me. What we're about to see is a promise, a pledge that God has made. Humble yourselves before the Lord and I, God, I will do what? I will lift you up. Is that a promise? Do you believe it? Then let's love some people that are hard to love. Because we ourselves are not always easy to love. Now I know God. How can I be? Oh, I know God. He's perfect and he's holy. He's super awesome. I know him. And I'm proud of my God. And I'm so in love with my God. Now here's the question. Don't you feel the same way? (laughs) Do you? Do you feel the same way? Do you you love God? Is He holy? Has He ever been wrong? I know God. He's everything I'm not. How in the world can I be proud of myself if I know how good God is? How can I be proud of anything in my life? Even when I do well, it's always tinged with stink. It's always tinged with sin. If we really know God, is there anything we can really be proud of? Let me put to you another way. If you've got a pretty good hold on who you are and you think you know yourself, and you compare that to God, how can we be proud? And the more we know about ourselves and the more we know about God, it's got, it has to result in increased humility. Because we really know how messed up we are and we, have, we know how awesome He is. Now here's the thing, if I'm comparing myself to Jordan and you guys out here, I'm okay. But when I compare myself to Him, Virgil, I'm not okay. I don't have anything to be proud of. And so when the Word of God says, Humble yourselves before God. Basically, it's saying you don't have anything to be proud of but Jesus. The more we know about ourselves, ignore that knowledge or be, you can either ignore that knowledge or you can be humbled by it. We're exposed to the fact that we're not as good as, we're not as bad as we could be. And we're also not as good as we should be. The only appropriate response is with appropriate humility. I think we can all admit that humility doesn't come natural for us. It's tough. So this week, y'all, take some time to take an inventory of your relationships. Look at your attitudes towards those people that are hard to love. Do the people in your life who are hard to love, would you say they see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? You know, gentleness, peace, kindness, faith. Would you say those people that you find hard to love, do they still see your Jesus? Do they still see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? If not, then... I've got good news for you. It's not too late to humble yourself. It's it's not too late to, to chart a new course.
Number one, here's the three, here's the three, here's the three things I'm going to encourage you to do. Number one, ask God in prayer. Say, God, help me. I know that I'm hard to love, and so help me. You've put people in my life that are hard to love too. So, God, I need your help because I know I'm not, I'm not good at this. Number two, ask your friends or your family for their help. Say, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. Could you give me some pointers? Now, you know what? As soon as I said that, as soon as I said that some of y'all just rolled your eyes and said, yeah, I ain't going to do that. That's why humbling ourselves is so freaking hard. Because that means people are going to tell us the truth, whether we like it or not. Ask your friends and family for, for help. Number three, ask others into your life while being fully committed to learning how to work on difficult relationships. Just because somebody might be a little hard to love, it doesn't mean you've got to flush them. It doesn't mean you, well, I'm not ever going to talk to that person again. Can I tell you what? Jesus died for that person that you just flushed just as much as he did you. All right. I got to start writing shorter sermons, mama. Gosh, dang it. I love this church. Uh, Pam, hon, if you come up and start playing. You know, a message like today, it, it means a lot. Because I don't know about you, but I find myself in, in stuff like this all the stinking time. Where people are hard to love, and I'm trying to be Jesus. Check for competing desires in your life. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Humble yourself before God. Surrender. I'm going to tell you something incredible about amazing grace. If you've been given grace by God, you've got enough to share with other people. If you've been given grace by God, you've got enough to share with other people. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, would you want to take some steps to soften your heart towards maybe people that are hard to love? Today, I want to start with that first thing about asking in prayer. As we open up the invitation here in just a moment, would you start by asking God, God, what do I need to do to be more loving to people that are hard to love? How can I be more easy to love? Then check out your, your desires and you know check out those things. Do they align with God? Are you mad because you don't get your way? You take your ball and go home. And you know that's wrong, but man, that's just the way you do things. Well, we can stop that today with the help of Jesus. Church, if you would, I want to ask you to stand. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. This morning, if you would like to begin this process of learning what it means to, to love people who are difficult to love, and things like that, we're going to start by just coming before Him and praying, God, what do I need to do? He can tell you a whole lot more than what He has told you in the sermon. He'll reveal to you. He'll read your mail to you. And that'll be my challenge to you today. Almighty God, as we go into this time of invitation, I pray for every person who's going to walk this aisle and come up and pray before you, asking for help, seeking for power to live a, a life that, that loves people who are hard to love. Lord God, they're making a commitment to humble themselves before you. They're making a commitment to do your will and not theirs. They're, make, they're making a commitment, Lord, to follow the, the, the will of the Spirit, not the will of the flesh. Almighty God, have your way right now in this invitation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. And amen. Carry on.